3: That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Scott Galloway is vacationing in God knows where. This week, I'm happy to be joined by Preet Bharara, uh, Scott's favorite person. Uh, and we're so happy to have you here. He's so jealous wh- wh- wherever he is, in Visa or wherever the heck,
4: Scott. Wait, so you don't know where he is? I
1: don't. I don't. He, you know, he's got a plan. That seems irresponsible he's a, on someone's know. part. He gets, I know that, you know, but <laughs> he, I just let him go and have this Bacchanal kind of thing for August. Does he then, check in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sends texts and if you notice he's been like saying how close he is with Anderson Cooper online and stuff like that. I've
4: seen that. You you know, well you weird... promoted that too.
1: I did, but I, I but You've I've done
4: some ego boosting. I've I know, seen.
1: I know, but I'm trying to make him feel better for not being here and him being bad about you being <laughs> Wait, here. So he's
4: bailing on the job, he's, he's obsessed on vacation. With you. and you're trying he, to make him he, feel better.
1: Yes, I am, because I got he's gotta come back all fresh and stuff and he's got a real issue with you. He's obsessed with you. Just like for example, Andrew Cuomo, Governor Andrew <laughs> Cuomo. You see how I did that? Um so that was a good segue. Eleven-page letter on Friday attacking special investigators who wrote a damning report in his office. The letter claimed that investigator June Kim had quote unwarranted skepticism of the governor because of Kim's ties to Preet.
2: Can you explain?
1: Yes, can you explain, please? I want a little bit of your like thoughts on this situation. What a what a hot mess. So
4: I can explain. Okay. It has been suggested to me that in this letter sent by my former friend Paul Fishman, who was the U.S. Attorney in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. In which i mentioned 33 times yeah
1: 33 an 11 page letter
4: 33 times <clears throat> 33 times uh, i'm a podcaster now yeah and a commentator commentator i have no public office i have no subpoena power i have yeah. nothing to do with this investigation and yet my name is invoked again and again and again and i guess the premise is that once upon a time mm-hmm. i was the u.s attorney and we did some investigations and june is a really good friend of mine and so as they say in the letter multiple times at various junctures. Andrew Cuomo seems to have done things to harm my career, among other things. It's right. reported that he told Trump to fire me. On yeah. another occasion, he readily admits that he called up the uh, Obama administration and told mm-hmm. them, don't make me the attorney general. Oh. And so therefore, because he tried to screw me mm-hmm. in various career ways, You're June Kim, my friend, what? is in some ways... Bias. It makes no sense. By the way, this, this he didn't an make any of these objections. Of
1: billions. I know. I can get if it's an episode of billions, <laughs> but you know they're always cross doing each other. But, this but do, is does ridiculous. it make any sense?
4: So I'm no. I'm a little close to the matter. Does it make any sense?
1: If I'm watching billions, yes. But otherwise, no. This is hair brain. Can I read to my
4: favorite sentence? Yes, in the Go letter? ahead,
1: please do. And
4: I, I want I want to know if ordinary people understand this. Okay. Argument. All right. Okay. So in the letter claiming bias on the part of Mr. Yeah. Kim, they refer to me and say, "Quote: During speeches and interviews,
1: mm-hmm.
4: back when I was his attorney, during speeches and interviews." Mr. Barrara repeatedly articulated his deep distrust of politicians in Albany and mm-hmm. his intent and eagerness to probe deeply to find evidence of wrongdoing. It is reasonable for our client to question whether Mr. Kim shared those views. Well, I hope he did, don't yeah. you? <laughs> Don't no. you hope that prosecutors well, Cuomo would about corruption? Andrew know
1: a thing or two about probing deeply. But um, but in any case, <laughs> um, what, do you have any problem with him? No. Did he get you fired? No. Probably not. Trump didn't. Really I, damn don't, well,
4: I don't. <clears> you don't care. I don't believe, I don't believe so. You don't I mean, look, it. I don't think he's going to be I don't think you like
1: long. him. No, very few people do it, from what I can understand. And well, this idea politics. also,
4: just on the substance it's from So
1: narcissistic,
4: yeah. This idea that someone has investigated someone once. And by the way, in connection with that investigation, mm-hmm was involved in the decision not to bring charges.
1: Yeah, he did Andrew no. Cuomo
4: was not charged. Other yeah. people were. He was yes. not. Yes. And the idea that you can't investigate again would mean that no prosecutor could ever investigate somebody yep. or prosecute somebody twice, which happens all the time, which Andrew yeah. Cuomo himself did because he was the attorney general mm-hmm. and a line prosecutor at some time. So it's, look, it's a distraction like yeah. a lot of people do. And I'll stand by the other, the other complaint they make about me. I'll stand by my comparison between Andrew Cuomo and Donald Trump. And maybe I'll appear in another oh, yeah. letter.
1: Yeah, that's right. You are, and you have said that. Can you can you illuminate me on that? By the way, June isn't your guy, right? That's that's the plan here. Like you are using him to get back in. <laughs> he's your guy. Like he's like, my
4: guy. We don't have guys. I know. it works. Maybe that's how it works. Know, how it works in Andrew Cuomo's. Work. Oh, he's his
1: guy. I know he's grooming me. I can see him saying it. So, so what do you think is going to happen here from a legal point of view? And uh, and and so, how so the you important the news.
4: We're recording this on Monday yes. uh, afternoon. Mm-hmm. His chief aide, yes. uh, as people refer to her as the most powerful non-elected person in New York. His guy. His, his guy. His, she's, but a, it's she's a woman.
1: A, I know. She's Melissa DeRosa yeah. stepped
4: down yesterday. And, you know, from what I can tell, and having mm-hmm. lived in the state for a while and understanding some things, mm-hmm. that is a terrible sign for Andrew Cuomo. You know, oh. all these arguments that he and his lawyers are making tend to be distractions, tend to yes. be cherry-picked. The one thing they're correct about is there is no formal adjudication of this report. Right. It's just a report. And then other bodies can decide what to do with them, like a DA's office or like uh, private civil lawsuits Mm -hmm. or, most importantly, the state legislature. And they can do with this information what they will. And so it's really a political argument now. Yeah. And if Andrew has lost, you know, it was a very sort of tight and terse statement that she made with no reference to him. No, no gratitude to him.
1: All right, what's going to happen to him? So, Lieutenant Governor, Kat, uh, I want to move to another topic. Kathy yeah. Horchol is reportedly take Kathy over. Kathy Hochul. Hochul, excuse me. What do you think is going to happen here?
4: I think nobody thought anything would happen for a while until the Assembly impeached, which would cause him to have to step aside during the mm-hmm. pendency of the trial in the Senate. Mm-hmm. I think he's not going to wait. I think the, the the good money is that he will finally see the writing on the wall. Yeah. And step down sooner rather than later.
1: Oh, interesting. I don't think so. I think he's a narcissistic no. prick. Want to take a bet? Okay, I will. But you probably, probably know. You probably know because you have all the guys. I don't know anything. I just, <laughs> you know, I just like,
4: observe. I'm just. I, he's oh such my god,
1: narcissistic <laughs> prick! I think that is really where I stand and go. He reminds me of a lot of people I cover. You know, he's just not going to stand down. Anyway, speaking of not standing down, Chinese giant Tencent faces a lawsuit from Beijing prosecutors who say the WeChat messaging app does not comply with laws protecting minors. Now, Apple just—we're going to talk about that in a second—but you know, WeChat's Youth Mode limits young users' access to some games, which is. Astonishing they can do this uh, in this country when people go mad. And the filing did not specify how WeChat youth mode broke Chinese law. I mean, they're really pushing hard from a legal point of view on tech giants. They can just do it, right? As, I mean, compared to here. as someone They who can do whatever prost- they want. Yeah. You know, what do you think as you, about this? As you
4: mentioned, I don't know enough about it because mm-hmm. as the reporting suggests, there's no basis. Right. Usually when you bring actions like this on the part of the government, you have to have some specificity mm-hmm. like you allege. Yeah. You know I didn't spend a long time being a prosecutor in Beijing, so I don't know yeah. I, I don't know a lot about this. But would you like to have
1: power like this just to do what you wanted?
4: No, I like I like democracy better, okay. such as it is mm-hmm. at this moment. And we'll talk about that too, obviously. Right. But you know, it what what is interesting about this, mm-hmm. I think, will be the relevance to our later conversation about what Apple is doing with iMessage. Yeah. And one of the arguments that, that we will discuss is even if it's all well and good here mm-hmm. in the United States, where we have rules and we have some accountability. Once yeah. you allow, you know, a certain kind of surveillance in other countries like China, yeah, that's where the problem lies.
1: Yeah, 100%. And so I think
2: this is a portent for that.
1: Yes, that's a very good point. All right, time for the big story. companies and governments around the world are weighing vaccine mandates, but citizens and employees are voicing opposition, even as the death toll from the Delta variant grows. Yet, airlines will require its 67,000 U.S. employees to get vaccinated by October 25th. This is a day after I did an interview with the head of American Airlines who said he wasn't going to. And he got a lot of heat for that. Um, in France, citizens must be vaccinated or have a recent negative COVID test to enter cafes or ride inner-city trains. The requirement has prompted four weeks of protests and drew almost a quarter million people to rallies this past Saturday. Amazon has no COVID-19 mandate yet, What vaccine mandate. The tech giant reportedly fears an employee walkout and labor shortage. The mandate is implemented. That said, other tech companies absolutely have mandates. I mean, Google and some others. New York City has mandated all of its 300,000 municipal workers get vaccinated or or agree to weekly testing by September 13th. The move has been opposed by several of the city's unions. Pree, explain this to me with the lawsuits. Go for it. Lawsuits. They should...
4: Well, the lawsuits seem weak. Mm-hmm. And frivolous lawsuits are brought all the time. Right. And we see that in in the, in the course of the prior administration as well. And it seems to me the nub of the lawsuits is the distinction between something being a permanently approved vaccine mm-hmm. versus something under emergency youth authorization. Now, I think the better lawyers who have examined this and will be defending these things understand that even emergency youth is mm-hmm. strong enough and tested enough that it can be required. And so I think those will fail. But what was interesting to me about this debate mm-hmm. Is at some point we're going to have permanent use authorization. Very soon. Right. So that to the extent these lawsuits are relying on that distinction, that will soon be gone. And what are the arguments going to be there? Right.
1: That this, this who knows about these vaccines, but they'll have been
4: approved. Right. But the motivation of the people who are making bringing these suits, I, I think some of them care about the distinction between temporary and, and uh, mm-hmm. emergency and permanent. Some people but do. Some of them just don't want anybody to give them a jab ever. Mm-hmm. And so those legal arguments are maybe relied upon too heavily. And the other thing is, you know, some, of these, some of these businesses are saying that there's this mandate, but not tomorrow. You don't mm-hmm. have to finish by tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Sometime in the future, in many cases, likely after they will have permanent use. And I wonder if that's intentional. Right. So that argument is taken away from them in the coming weeks.
1: Yeah. So do you, what do you make of all the, all the resistance? I mean, all these, like, there's all these incredible stories, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal about a nurse whose parents died and then she doesn't want to take the vaccine. And she's like, it's almost like people want to blame us for this. I'm like, yeah, I, I want to blame you for this. And then there was a guy in Texas who was a very uh, anti-vax person. He died of COVID in five days after getting it. I think something like that. Obviously, there's a lot of Facebook stuff where people are saying, I should have taken the vaccine. Can I have it now? And they're like, no. You know, well, there's a
4: lot of misinformation. Yeah. There's a lot of politicizing, so, which I don't get, right? Because all the people who supported Trump mm-hmm. and say he should get credit for yep. Operation Warp Speed don't want to take the vaccine. Yep. There's a very sad story by a, a doctor mm-hmm. in Alabama who talks about patient after patient Yeah who gets sick and said, "Now I wish I could take the vaccine. I think we should spread those stories more, yeah. not in a judgmental way. Yeah. Even though I understand the urge to be judgmental.
1: Yeah, really? I, I'm sort of, it's interesting because I think fear does more than coddling, honestly. You know, let's give someone a beer or $5 or whatever the heck you want to give them to $50. Um, I do think fear does, is what causes people to do things. It
4: is, but also, in, you know, I think the carrot works Better than the stick, according to some things that mm-hmm. I've read. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you if you are told you can't fly, you can't go to a concert without getting vaccinated. That's maybe going to be worth more to you than a hundred bucks. Well,
1: is that a carrot or a, is that punitive? That's a stick, right?
4: Well, it's well, let's call it a carrot.
1: Okay. All right.
4: Through our rhetorical magic, <laughs> and, have, <laughs> and have look, if you get this
1: vaccine, Honestly, you get to go see Springsteen on out, Broadway. I am all out of fucks. I have to say about this. I I have to. I just am like. <laughs> I cannot say, I have a young child and I'm like, oh, he, yeah. she, you. by the way, got in a little bit of trouble yesterday, hit her head and we are in the hospital and I was like, oh great, we're walking into COVID soup and ended up wearing the mask all the time. But it was sad. I was, she was real good at it. And it was really, I just am like, no, this is not something I want for my children. Essentially, I don't want this to happen. But what do you imagine is going to happen? Will the Biden administration have a vaccine mandate? Is there any possibility of that? Well, you
4: know, what's interesting about that is to put the lawyer hat on again for a second, there's a the division within the Department of Justice called mm-hmm. the, the Office of Legal Counsel, which was asked to develop an opinion, basically saying that governmental entities and mm-hmm. private entities can issue you know, mask mandates. They don't call them a mandate because they mm-hmm. said we're not sending people to your home and holding you down, mm-hmm. but it's a conditional requirement. Mm-hmm. If, you get, if you don't get the vaccine, then you can't participate in certain things. You can't come to your work as a police officer. You can't come to your work at the Justice Department. And so I think that's a signal that they have strong legal grounds which mm-hmm. goes to your question about lawsuits mm-hmm. for proceeding i think the balance for them is you know the people who are pro-biden are getting the vax yeah and the people who are not have to be persuaded in some way yeah. that works because you know biden's numbers are slipping not that this should be you know described in in, in, a, in a political context but you know it is and the irony is that it's the people who are against Biden who don't want to get vaccinated who are causing a problem for everyone else. But that is reducing his numbers among yep. independents also. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a big catch-22.
1: Yeah, 100%. Well, last question on this. When, when they're trying to do this, when you're a company, what do they do? What do? You see more activity from companies than you do from governments. And obviously, you see some resistance from governments, like in Florida and Texas and other places. Not just that mask wearing and vaccinations. Those are sort of two separate things, but they're together in some way. I never thought vaccines would get dragged into the mask fight, essentially, but that's what's happened.
4: Look, there's a combination of things you can do. You can ask for vaccinations, but then in the alternative, you can have, look, you can have religious exemptions. There are people who in yep. good faith, and there's a lot of people in bad faith who don't get the injection. Uh, you can mandate testing. Mm-hmm. It's the, the problem population are the people who don't want to get vaccinated, don't want to get tested, and don't want to wear a mask. Yeah. And that's a trifecta for disaster. Yeah. Um, look, but in your experience, uh, I'm sure you've seen over and over again, that sometimes it's businesses who take the lead yeah. on Always. issues of public health Always. and social justice too. And they right. don't
1: mind being food either. They don't, they are like come at us. Like Walmart. Were yeah. you
4: surprised by Walmart? No. I know Doug McMillan. No,
1: I don't. They have, they're a yeah. forward-facing company. They have to do yeah. that. You know, when I was interviewing the American Airlines CEO, he, he was talking about it and I said, I'm not getting on your airline. I said, That's my consumer decision. You know what I mean? Like, one of your flight attendants coughs on me. I don't want to. I can still get COVID. I don't want to get it. You
4: so you're going to just use Professor Galloway's uh, jet?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use his jet. <laughs> scramble the jets, Galloway. No, He definitely
4: has his pilots vaccinated, right? <laughs> I, don't
1: I don't know. I don't know what he does when he leaves the area of this squad cast. I don't, don't know what he does, Pre, <laughs> Let's go on a quick break when we get back. Apple does an
3: about face on privacy, like you said. Stay with us. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens
1: We're back. Apple has announced plans to scan images on iPhones and other devices before they're uploaded to iCloud. Apple says the program is designed to detect and prevent the sharing of child sexual abuse material. It's called uh, CSA. I believe. The privacy advocates warn that this effectively nullifies Apple's previous commitment to user privacy. EFF, not surprisingly, has criticized the move, saying it's impossible to build a client-side scanning system that can only be used for this type of content. The move will include scanning iMessages of users younger than 13 as well as updates to Syrian search that will intervene when users search for prohibited material. Will Cathcart, the head of WhatsApp, voiced concerned on Twitter, he's a really interesting guy, and said the popular chat app will not adopt the system. So what, uh, what do you think? What is going going on here
4: so you know this is just the latest example the latest iteration of a debate that we've had even before modern technology Mm -hmm. going back to the founding of of all republics and we since we first started talking about the social contract right the Mm -hmm. the balance between liberty and security and I think on both sides of this debate there are people who too often belittle the other side so Mm -hmm. I think there are privacy advocates um no offense to them Mm -hmm. who who I think are not as concerned about things like child pornography and the, and the manufacture of child pornography, which... Well, they think the blocking
1: is, of it hurts other things. I think they're they're willing to tolerate it. Yeah, no, I see. It. But yeah. y-
4: you kind of can't have everything. Yeah, you can. You know, as soon as you start talking about a balance, you have to figure out where that's struck. Mm-hmm. And some people advocate it, you know, for it in one direction versus the other. Mm-hmm. And I think they have to take seriously this issue of, of so many people being exploited in the most horrific way. I think it was yeah. the most... Awful crime that I ever, oversaw the prosecution of. On the other hand, you have knee-jerk folks in law enforcement all over the country who poo-poo the, the need for privacy. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, in every circumstance, I need it. no matter what the possibilities are, I need. we need a backdoor. So the backdoor issue we came up in San Bernardino some, yep, some years Apple. ago.
1: Apple stuck to its guns on that one.
4: And so I don't know where the balance is properly struck. I don't love arguments that rely mostly on slippery slope mm-hmm. rhetoric. You know, the slippery slope gets used too often. It does. It's too easy. Mm-hmm. It's too facile. Yeah, which is not to say that there there may be some problems here. Look, it may be that you know Apple is that my my understanding is there are two facets to this. One is they're going to match photos that are conveyed mm-hmm. to an existing database of, of pornograph, you know underage yeah. pornographic materials. Yeah, and then. They're going to scan everything or look at everything for people who are registered as under 13.
1: Well, they're going to, once they're uploaded, if they get uploaded to iCloud, if they bring it to the cloud, if they keep it on their phones by themselves. But the whole point is sharing this stuff, unfortunately. But go ahead. I mean,
4: look, maybe there are possibilities of opting out and parents can have a choice about some of these things. Mm -hmm. Maybe there can be ways to get people to not be as concerned by having outside oversight. I know Mm -hmm. these companies don't like that. And sometimes when they do that, as we've seen, it's not done in a fair-minded way or, or in a way that people respect.
1: Okay. You mentioned two things. One was with the uh, San Bernardino, which Apple was very strong pushing against uh, James Comey on uh, encryption. I don't know where you were on that issue. And then the second thing was when they uh, took protect 230 protections away from sex trafficking and some other things. So that, that was sort of removing immunity from that. Why do you think Apple's doing this? And what did you think at the time when Apple, he, they were vehement about that?
4: So, so I wasn't involved in that, but my sense was it was a business decision. Mm-hmm. And they're very smart. And I understand that there are companies that have, you know, philosophies about freedom or about exercise or whatever the case may be, high, high-minded or low-minded, but it's through the prism of business. And my perception always was that in the marketplace, being very, very pro-privacy was important for Apple. There was a there was a parallel Thanks. controversy with Microsoft. And it, it's a long story, but we were in litigation with Microsoft over trying to get documents that were kept on servers abroad. Mm-hmm. And it was a ludicrous argument in my view. Mm-hmm. They're drawing a distinction between servers abroad and the United States. Yeah. And my view, that was a business decision too. You want to come across as being very, very, very pro-privacy. Mm-hmm. And the question I have here is, did some research about their business prospects and the views of the public change to cause them to have a different point of view now than they did during san bernardino what do you think
1: um i think they've seen they realize the i think they're doubling down on this idea is we're not trying to kill humanity you know what i mean like that's their brand right now we're not facebook to stealing all your privacy and at the same time they're like but we're going to protect your children it's a very difficult uh threat a needle to threaten for them i have to say because it does sort of give me the creeps right i i have kids who have these um phones and they are young enough, you know, I'm like, what are they going to do to those phones? And I definitely have to study it. But at the same time, I would trust Apple more than others. But at at the same time, it couldn't, you know, speaking of a cliche, open the door for anybody mandating that Apple must search for lots of things. I mean, as a prosecutor, did you want to get your mitts on this stuff?
4: Yeah. Look, there's a reason why this kind of technology comes into the debate and to the fore when you're talking about the most serious kinds of things, Mm -hmm. terrorism and the manufacture of child pornography. They're, they're, it's hard to come up with anything worse than those two things. I think there would be a lot of more a lot more pushback and even a lot more debate if we were talking about lesser kinds of crimes. And like prosecutors will use whatever tools that they have. Mm-hmm. And if they understand that a private company has the ability to get certain kinds of information, yeah. they will use that from their perspective in good faith to protect the public and hold bad violent people accountable. There'll,
1: there'll always be someone. Oh, let's get this guy. Let's Oh yeah, but this guy's bad too. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's never Look, stopping.
4: Law enforcement folks will also tell you that the most private place that exists is your home mm-hmm. and the Constitution has a 4th Amendment which says only that you you can't have unreasonable searches and seizures. What's a reasonable search and seizure? And I've heard law enforcement people and I understand that point of view and I also understand the other point of view, but to give the law enforcement perspective for a moment again if it is the case that our constitution has recognized and the courts have recognized mm-hmm. that even in the most private place that we have you know our the bedroom in our home on our phone that if there's probable cause to believe there are fruits of a crime you can go look there right. why is a phone so much different than your bedroom that's the argument wow.
1: Yeah, I think, I think ultimately if it puts, it gets put in bad hands. I mean, these things, we've, listen, we've opened our, the door a long time ago by using these things. And I think they're just, they're just too juicy for law enforcement not to want to do. And I suspect that Apple want, doesn't want, wants to be the privacy company, but not too private, right? I think they're, and, and they were going to be acted upon. This is something, let me just tell you, when I, I'm working on my book on, uh, on Silicon Valley and, one of the things that was memorable to me when the Communications Decency Act did not pass, there was another part of it that, de- that declared unconstitutional. But I was at a lunch where, of all people, do you remember Fawn Hall?
4: Yeah, of course. <laughs> she
1: was working on this stuff because she was obsessed with, with pornography on the internet, child pornography. Not obsessed, but she was concerned, and but a lot concerned. And so she had a lunch where she had a, an envelope that she gave out and it was child pornography on the internet at the time. And I was like,
4: Oh, hello. Was she arrested on the spot?
1: No, no. But it was really, um, it was really, you you sort of get, you have the emotional side of it as a parent. You're like, yes, get these people. Look how easy it is. They have to use these tools and then you want the companies also to protect you. It's really, it's a very difficult issue. Look,
4: it's the hardest. And by the way, the other complicating factor in this is, politicians in the middle in particular understand this. Mm-hmm. And they have constituents who are privacy advocates right. and they have constituents who are law enforcement advocates. Yeah. And in, during my time in the Senate, I saw most of the time mm-hmm. they wanted to punt.
1: Punt it, not, not deal with it. But as a prosecutor, yeah, you hard. wanted this stuff, right? Wouldn't you like, isn't it the yeah, best w- way to get information now or the easiest?
4: Yeah, with, with proper controls and a judge's supervision,
1: mm-hmm.
4: you know, prosecutors have a view of their own magnanimity mm-hmm. and believe that they won't abuse it. Mm-hmm. But we understand, and look, I have some perspective from that time. It's been four and a half years since I've been there, and I think I understand other perspectives better than I did, which doesn't make the decision any easier, doesn't make the balancing any easier. And by the way, as you know better than almost anybody, this privacy debate is a little bit funny sometimes, because at the same time that people are fighting tooth and nail to make sure that the government doesn't have access to certain kinds of things, these tech companies do. They do. And they make claims, they make claims, I guess, Mm -hmm. that they can't see them, that well, they don't Apple look at cannot. them. Apple cannot. They do encrypt um, it. But they yeah. can. But like, Right? You think they can. This, but but they could change it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the same argument That's applies right. to them. They could change it. Uh, you know, we have given all this information to them. We've given access to all of our, our mm-hmm. information to them. And yet we trust them? I don't know. Yeah, it I don't trust a, them. Uh, Even the Apple, which is, either. I think,
1: the most privacy conscious. I can show you stuff on your phone that they've been saving there locally, but still there watching you and tracking you in ways that... It's for use on the phone. There, it's always some excuse that they have it. In any case, what worries me, and then we're now going to get to our friend of pivot, is when you have this ability. What if a crony gets into office? What if that James Clark guy, and if you'd like to have a comment about him, please do. Did what Trump said? Like, if you get some president who feels like doing something, oh, Jeff, Clark. Jeff, yeah, Clark, Jeff Clark. Clark, right? If you yeah. get if you get someone who is willing to go along with it, it's problematic. Like, they could pick anything. You know, or Governor Cuomo, I think Preet, let's investigate Preet because whatever.
4: These are the pitfalls of a free society mm-hmm.
1: With that phones. sees
4: an emergence of technology that we've not seen before. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, speaking of which- Maybe
4: L- Lieutenant Colonel can Yes,
1: exactly. Place. Let's bring in our friend of Pivot. He's retired Lieutenant Colonel of the U.S. Army, who served as a key witness in President Trump's first impeachment trial. He covers the episode and its fallout in a new memoir, *Here, Right Matters: An American Story*. Welcome, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. How you doing?
2: Hi, Kara. Hi, Preet. I'm doing okay. I actually was just thinking about your your conversation on uh, Apple and privacy and disruptive technology. Mm-hmm. I wrote an article for *The Diplomat* on this topic about you know disruptive technology and uh, understanding the future uh, trends, including artificial intelligence and the need I I brought in Isaac Asimov and, and the three rules, we should have some guide rule, uh, some guardrails uh, mm-hmm. to, to protect ourselves against this. So it's fascinating. I'm glad you guys are having this conversation.
1: So in that vein, let's recap uh, to our listeners. You were present for a telephone call between President Trump and the newly elected president of Ukraine. On that call, Trump suggested that. Volodymyr Zelensky investigate Joe Biden and his son Hunter in an exchange for U.S. support. The U.S. had at the time suspended millions of dollars of foreign aid to the Ukraine. And you reported this call up the chain of command. This was just a regular telephone call. So you were not surveilling it, but you were on the call as happens when the president talks to various foreign leaders, different people are on the calls. Can you talk a little bit about what we, you and I had a long interview post when you left and when you were leaving. Talk about where you've been since
0: then. I want, then we want to talk about the book.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess it's been about nine or, or 10 months since we last spoke. Mm-hmm. It's been an interesting trek. I think the last time we spoke, there was a lot more uh, ambiguity about what my future might hold. There's still mm-hmm. an enormous amount of ambiguity now. There's some sort of uh, wishful thinking about whistleblowers doing the right thing and then kind of landing on their feet. I think right. Preet knows this maybe even better than most. That's not mm-hmm. what, what usually happens with whistleblowers. They're, they, right. they, you know, their life is turned upside down. You know, they have to recover from a massive upheaval. In a lot of ways, I've had a similar experience, but I was just well-postured to kind of recover. I think there's mm-hmm. a, a, a breed of resilience that runs deep in my family based on a background and kind of starting over and restarting over. It's a story I talk about in in It in right Matters that's allowed me to kind of land on my feet, but still with an uh, enormous amount of ambiguity moving forward. You know, I haven't quite figured out- what,
1: what do you out- mean ambiguity? What is yeah. it? it's like, people are like, oh, you, that kind of thing, or well, what? Well, so, amb-
2: so no, it's not like even external or uh, uh, towards me, although mm-hmm. there is some of that, you know, uh, it's internal about what I want to do. I mean, I I made a declaration back then about staying active on national security, advocating for public service, accountability and dem- demanding uh, values-based leadership. I've been active on those areas, but those are kind of conceptual as opposed to what is it that I'm going to do for a living uh, moving right. forward. Right, you would have
1: stayed in the army, correct? You would have stayed-
2: I guess if I just stayed quiet, uh, I would have been out of war college at this point in a kind of a high value critical assignment for US national security somewhere overseas at this point. But that's not the way things are. And now I'm trying to find my way uh, invested in, uh completing my phd mm-hmm. at, at johns hopkins i'm basically all but uh, dissertation at this point so coursework is done
4: so I, I want to ask you a question about the parallels between what you experienced in that july 25th call and some of the things we're hearing about now and i'm struck by how similar they are in your case what you write about and what you experienced was a call between the president of the united states and the leader of ukraine and part of the message was could you announce an investigation to joe and hunter biden not necessarily open one, but announce one. And then he knew he could run with that. And literally the quote we have from the acting deputy attorney general's notes from the final weeks of the Trump administration was Trump saying, listen, all you have, I'm paraphrasing, all you have to do is say the election was corrupt and I'll do the rest with the Republicans. Can you speak to how you react to that given the experience you had and how similar they are and, and what it tells you about that administration?
2: You know, it's interesting. I, I guess um, I'm past any point of shock having uh, with these revelations just because it is exa- it's almost exactly the same thing. He wasn't really even looking for dirt on Joe Biden. He just wanted an announcement of an investigation mm-hmm. uh, by the Ukrainians into Joe Biden. So it's the same exact thing. And you would think that, you know, there would be a lesson learned from impeachment. There wasn't. Uh, part of that was because uh, the Senate, uh, Senate Republicans failed to do their job and live up, up to their oath and hold the president accountable, whether that was removal or even something as simple as a censure. Instead, they went all in, you know, basically encouraging the president to pursue. I, I'm th- That's not a stretch. They encouraged the president to continue doing what he did. And subsequently, we had a massive mismanagement of a COVID pan- of a pandemic, a global pandemic, that in my mind, there is zero doubt had cost and hundreds of thousands of lives. If it was managed properly, we would have not had those kinds of casualties. The impact on the economy would not be huge. In a, in a, a parallel universe in which Mike Pence was the president because Donald Trump was removed, there is little doubt that they w- the pandemic would have been handled more, much more effectively. And having failed to learn a lesson there, having uh, inflamed protests in the summer of 2020, the president moved in to try to steal an election. And he's the one that obviously tried to steal an election.
1: With the same tactics.
2: With the same tactics. Saying, with the but same tactics. Fortunately for us, uh, he's just not very effective. And usually he does as much harm to himself as he does to you know U.S. Na- uh, national security and so forth. And he wasn't able to pull it off. But we came pretty close, in my view.
1: Yeah, one of the things we, we, I had George come in as a guest uh, host the other night, and he said he's just he, he has all bad intentions but not very effective, um, right. which is which is I guess good, but not not good, not that good. That was
2: my experience.
1: One of the things you had is the book deals with your relationship with your father, who was a Trump supporter. I don't know if he still is. Can you tell us how you did it? my mom is a Trump supporter. I mm-hmm. have relatives who are Trump supporters, especially a Fox News watcher. she yeah. was an anti-Trump person. Mm-hmm. I have tapes of her saying what an awful person he is, and then suddenly was not. Yeah. Um, it was really a shift. I don't know what went on with your dad, but can you talk a little bit about that? Because here's here are you doing something that you know uh, quote hurts Donald Trump. Yeah, talk talk about that experience because it's disappointing to say the
2: least. Sure, it is. Uh, although you know, uh, my, my dad, I, I'd never couch him as uh, as disappointing. He's always uh, back in my corner, one hundred percent. Even during during this, where he. Thought the best thing mm-hmm. to do would be to you know march into the president's office and 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 seek accommodation, and say how do we work this out? But for <laughs> my yeah, I mean this Not. is this is the way he thought it should <laughs> uh, be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And frankly, if I did do that, uh, things could have worked out very differently. But for my dad, he's a product of his history. Forty-seven years in. Uh, living under communism, and in mm-hmm. those 47 years, recognizing that communism was a failed enterprise and, frankly, swing the pendulum swinging in the complete opposite direction towards, you know, conservatism, uh, unhealthy kind of conservatism uh, as a complete absolute rejection against communism. This is not an mm-hmm. uncommon phenomenon amongst, no. No. amongst Cubans. you know, Cubans, Venezuelans, mm-hmm. and so forth. And he was a product of that. And then in addition to that, he also kind of appreciated that maybe something like Donald Trump a uh, a non-politician a businessman yeah. could kind of shake up uh you know the swamp and, and um and and take this country in a new direction so that's his starting point going in and that's his starting point you know with his counsel to me and mm-hmm. we had plenty of disagreements on you know what 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 kind of a harm or good the president was causing to the United States
1: but what you did he he supported you for, the, for what you were doing or did he say don't
2: do it well he, your brother did, also
1: got pulled into this
2: yeah when he didn't know any any better when he kind of just saw uh, when he was listening to Fox News and the president's rhetoric he mm-hmm. he, he thought you know the president was uh, was on the right foot but as he learned more as he as my my, my mom actually said no more Fox News in the house so mm-hmm. as, as once he stopped kind of getting that yep. programming, he started to listen to the, the bigger context and understand what's going on, yep. see, see my own contribution. He had uh, absolute faith in the fact that I was being truthful and, and just kind of relaying the circumstances uh, factually. Mm-hmm. He he broke with the president. And then, of course, when the president attacked me personally for just simply telling the truth, this is when one of the, you know, when we did the CBS Sunday morning interview, was like, mm-hmm. in his view, I just did the right thing and the president attacked me. That yeah. that is that's something that he just can um reconcile with it wasn't palatable and uh, he broke with the president. You know well, what he needed more him. of?
4: He needed more of Vox Media <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Kara Swisher and, yeah. and, and some others. Yeah. Can I can I ask you sort of a more fundamental question about what you've learned about character and judgment and personality and, and what it is about people, what qualities of personality cause a person to be more likely to stand up in the way you did and be courageous in the way you did than other folks? I've talked about this with Michael Lewis, who identified for me the quality of Mm self-possession. People who don't care as much about what other people think and are very, not arrogant or um, conceited, but are just comfortable with themselves. Do you have a view on, on, on the kinds of things that make a difference? Because I think it's important to figuring out how we educate people, how we train future leaders as well.
2: I'm going to start out with kind of the more controversial characteristics, uh, and then I'll work to the safer ones. But uh, I think there's a little bit of of an irreverence, I guess, I've always had. And I'd say with regards to the office of the president, I've always held that office in extremely high regard. Frankly, not until that phone call did I really fully kind of believe that the president was behind this enterprise. I thought it was do-gooders, in quotes... Trying to ingratiate themselves with the president, trying to advance the president's interests, but I refuse to believe that the president himself, no matter the fact that I've you know seen him in action and I knew that he was kind of a corrupt, kind of transactional, uh, self-serving individual. Did I believe it because of the reverence of the office, but in, in my in my background there is a bit of a an irreverent streak that um, that helps. And that's an interesting trait to have in for an army officer that spent yeah. their career in the military.
4: That's not on the checklist, right? It's not. No, it... Irreverence. It's right after it
2: follows orders well.
1: Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's not true. Look at, look at Millie. Look at, no. I think people do. You're supposed to think for yourself, correct? I, I do. Or... But
2: you take a critical eye and try to kind of look at the merits of a situation on both sides, ju- juxtaposing views. And it's important. I had a chance to work for uh, Chairman Dunford, who I thought was a, a superb leader, and he welcomed that kind of feedback. General McKenzie, who's now the CENTCOM commander, was a very, very strong supporter, and you know, at one point called me in and encouraged me. One of the last conversations I had before I left the Pentagon was like, you're not a typical lieutenant colonel. You do, you're doing great. Speak your mind. I had plenty of leaders tell me to do that, encouraged me, and kind of nurtured that uh, healthy, respectful irreverence. So I think that's yeah. one trait. Another one is having a sense of yourself and having a bit of a uh, already having a moral compass uh as a background to build on. I think I got a lot of that from my father uh, who did not tolerate dishonesty and that was, you know, made clear to us from an early age and something that I certainly uh, instilled with my subordinates in the military with my daughter it's just important, you know, because this concept of once you lose trust, it's it, it's nearly impossible to regain it. Uh, I off, too often maybe give people the benefit of the doubt until they prove me wrong, and then it's hard to kind of recover. But that's a starting point for me.
1: Okay, so we've heard reports that military leadership worried about a coup in the waning days of the Trump administration. Do you think their concerns were valid? This was General Milley and others. You said they wanted you to think for yourselves, and looks like they were doing some of that. Do you think the military would have resisted a more organized coup attempt on January
2: 6th? I, I think the military was... Uh, dead set on not being involved at all in domestic politics. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a- As they should. That's that's absolutely right. But we were in uh, an uncharted territory and in a world in which the president was able to effectively r- uh, rouse his constituency. I mean, frankly, already radicalized, deeply radicalized uh, to, to violence. And they secured the Capitol building they basically, you know, held the White House, and really, law enforcement wasn't well positioned to respond. I don't know uh, what the what the right answer would be, but I, it's it doesn't seem like the military could completely sit out on the sidelines as our democracy was being stolen. Let's say in a more right. effective world in which you had a competent president that was able to actually realize the enterprise, sitting on the sidelines. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. My my criticism in the military is that they're too prepared to take half measures. I think that we, <laughs> we've seen that play out over a couple of decades of war. They took at best half measures. Maybe that's even a kind judgment with regards to, you know, defending somebody that was in a position to not defend themselves, me, in uniform. I, had, I mm-hmm. didn't have the ability mm-hmm. to defend myself. I didn't have the, the ability to say anything. And they were li- willing to have me sacrificed encouraging the president to continue to pursue you know coercive tactics to to kind of break the military like he did so many other institutions under his watch, mm-hmm. you know not break completely but harm him and have them bend to his will with State Department with defense. And I guess just to finish this idea very quickly, I'm concerned that the military in being weak need with responding to each one of these different events, me, The protests in the summer of 2020, uh, the president's rhetoric about, you know, stealing the election, uh, whether Mm -hmm. he was encouraged to then, you know, potentially leverage the military, either actually have them to come out in support of him or to somehow indicate that the military was behind him as he, you know, as he tried to attempt his his coup. I don't think the military did any uh, favors to itself by completely sitting out on the sidelines. It's just not right.
4: Hmm, Interesting. Pre. I wonder, Lieutenant Colonel, aside from President Trump, is there some person in this whole saga that you write about and that you endured who disappointed you the most, either in the way that they didn't support you or didn't speak up, or they turned out to be someone that you didn't think that they were?
2: Yes, yes, that is very much so. Uh, what are the last acts that Ch- uh, Chairman Dunford did on his way out, and I think his last day, as he, he put out a statement to CNN Talking about uh, you know, recognizing that I was under attack, that you attested to my my capabilities, my integrity, and so forth. And that's it. After that, it was crickets. And I don't this is not a criticism against the Department of Defense or the Army as a whole. They're honorable institutions filled with tremendous public servants, selfless servants, but the leadership, I think, frankly failed both me and and the nation in certain regards in not holding the line to the ethical standards and pr- principles of the institution. The leadership, not the institution. And that's frankly an, uh, an area that I'm in, uh, increasingly more comfortable to talk about because it's a hard place to go to, frankly, for me as a, as a career military officer. But we are in a, a place where we're not in a state of war. We are coming out of two decades of kind of a, the military failing to achieve it, the military and political objectives. And there's a moment of introspection uh, as to why these things occurred and uh, p- possibly for us to be, be able to address these issues and become stronger. So that's where I, I, co- I would come in on, on criticism. And then house leadership, I mean, G- GOP leadership that has failed to live up to their obligations and their oath.
1: They've moved on and disappointed us on other things.
4: Yeah. So I have this question for you. It's a serious question, but perhaps frivolous. So I, I can only find one interesting omission from your book, Here, Right Matters. And it's th- it's the lack of an index which is interesting to me. You wrote a Washington book without an index. And I wonder if that was intentional to drive Washington people crazy, because how the hell do you expect Washington people to read your book unless they can first turn to the index and find their name? Answer, sir. You know, that's,
2: that <laughs> is an uh, excellent question. Actually, uh, Je- <laughs> 33
1: yeah. times in an 11-page yeah. letter. Je- anyway, sorry. pre the, wants no, this to is, find this himself. This is beautiful,
2: because Jennifer Pritzker, my benefactor and my position at Lawfare, actually asked the same question and I didn't have a good response. I'm writing a, you know, a book about, uh, I don't want people just to flip to the portion of the book that has their name in it. I've got the second book project. That's a, a dissertation. That's going to have plenty of index and bibliography. I guess I didn't even think about it. Oh, wow. Um, but, uh, it's a good point. I'll keep that in mind. Oh, great.
1: <laughs> I'm going to ask a better last question. What do you think's going to happen to Trump? Like, look, you've been through the ringer with the right-wing media, but they've stuck with them. So has the GOP, who disappointed you. What a sh- I'm sorry, we constantly get mm-hmm. blamed by the GOP. They attacked you as un-American, citing your family's immigration history. What What do you think's going to happen with Trump and his movement? As you look at it, they toppled you.
2: Sure, uh, well, yeah. I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, we're even. Uh, I got him impeached. I, got him yeah, impe- that's you know, I yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, that's true. But, uh, you know, honestly, I'm less concerned about trump uh in 2024 i'm much more concerned about his movement the reason is that you know he's he's basically taking slivers out of his pie he's done that repeatedly he has his his you know base of support is shrinking um i don't think he's going to be viable he already lost by 7 million votes in the previous round i think what what i'm concerned about is trumpism and the fact that you have uh, a bunch of sycophants uh in in uh, political positions that are willing to go to any extreme to kind of continue to divide this country, double down on a shrinking base and thinking that that's a, that's a strategy to to uh, political victory and doing taking all sorts of extreme measures with regards to voting rights, juryman- gerrymandering, all sorts of other things. And that even if they fail, they do a lot of harm to this country. So it's Trumpism that I'm most worried about uh, it's this idea that there's there is in fact a kind of an absolute truth. It's in fact that you know we we are one people united by but far more than what divides us. And it's really kind of a culture war that's being inflamed uh, for 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 self service. I criticized Tucker Carlson this week. He went to to, to see Viktor Orban and was touting authoritarianism uh, over yeah. democracy. And uh, the fact that there are, there is no shame anymore with with being anti-American on the right. That's what concerns me.
1: Do you know what? He never had shame. You can't shame the shameless, yeah. Lieutenant Colonel. Anyway, thank you so much. Everybody should read his book, Here Right Matters, an American story. Thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman.
4: Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
1: All right, Preet. That was great. Would you have turned President Trump in? That's a tough call that guy made,
4: boy. Well, I don't know if I would have turned him in, but I refused, I refused to take his call.
1: Right, um, no. So I, I don't
4: put myself in the category of Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. But right, that's
1: true. I had enough that's true, sense. You didn't-
4: not to talk to the guy.
1: Yep, yep, yep. He was always trying to play something, but to, to but to take it up, that was that that took something to do that. But you're right. You all, you both have that in common very much. So, all right. One more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails.
0: what a bargain go to hbr.org/subscriptions and enter the promo code pivot right now to get 10% off your subscription again save 10% off your hbr subscription go to hbr.org/subscriptions and enter the promo code pivot
1: okay pre wins and fails i'll let you go first wins
4: and fails okay so aside mm-hmm. from the very obvious fail that we've already discussed at some length the defense job of Andrew Cuomo's lawyers Mm -hmm. uh, and their invocation of me fail. And then for my real fail and win, I have the same episode involving the same person. Okay, It's a former acting attorney general, Jeffrey Rosen, Mm -hmm. who was only attorney general for the final weeks of the Trump administration. And as we've been learning over the last number of days, has done something very good. He's decided to come in and talk to congressional investigators. Revealed information about how Donald Trump was calling him to try to get him to overturn the election, as we discussed with with Colonel Minman, Lieutenant Colonel Minman, saying, hey, just call the election corrupt and I'll do the rest. He did a good thing in denying the request of the acting civil division chief, Jeffrey Clark, uh, to tell Georgia and other states that there were problems with their election because there's no proof of that. So that's all good. That's a win. I also consider it a fail because it took him too long. Yeah. This is information that he's carried with him for, you know, an eight, nine, ten months and it might've been good information to have brought to investigators and congressional figures during the time of impeachment. Because all of this yeah. is part of the same thing. It's it's this stuff that the president was doing at the very time. Very
1: John Boltony of him.
4: Yes, yeah. totally. And and I get that people are Save saying it's great, but, but I think you can't call it a win without also calling it a fail, because yeah. this information would have been very helpful- Although he makes the argument that he time.
1: couldn't have, he didn't have that, that There's
4: blah. always a way. You figure out a way. I mean, yes, look, yes. he's doing things that are part of the win side of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knowing that there might be legal objection by Trump and his lawyers, he basically rushed in over a weekend, yeah. this past weekend, to talk to investigators, yeah, in which to is a good so. thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, when there was a will to try to get the story out and not be stymied, he figured that out in recent days, and maybe mm-hmm. something happened that changed his view. I, I don't think he thought he was going to take that to his grave, and earlier yeah. would have been better.
1: Yeah, very good ones. Okay. I'm going to say a win. The U.S. military just is breaking will mandate COVID-19 vaccine for troops by mid-September. Um, they're going to order, uh, 1.3 million active duty troops, even if the FDA has not issued full approval. Hopefully they will by then, but that's pretty quick. Uh, they can do things fast, speaking, uh, you know, as Lieutenant Colonel Lindman just noted. Um, and so that's going to be interesting and controversial, but they're going to have to be taking their medicine here in the, in the military. They're going to have to, they're gonna have to do it, I think, unless they leave. Um, the the fail is this climate report that just came out, and it's just devastating. The ho- the hotter future with this new climate panel that just it's a major scientific report, and it's really uh, disturbing. It's a United Nations scientific report. Humans have already heated up the planet by one point one degrees Celsius or degrees Fahrenheit, and since the nineteenth century. And it's going to get even worse. And this is the intergovernmental panel on climate change, the body of scientists. And even if nations start cutting emissions today, which is a big if, uh, total global warming is likely to rise about 1.5 degrees Celsius within the next two decades. A hotter future is now locked in. So that is a fail and it will continue to be. So I, it's depressing, but it's so. Uh, anyway, pre, that is the on show. That <laughs> on that note. On that note.
4: On that note, this was a real treat.
1: It was a treat. I really appreciate it. And everybody should listen to Preet's podcast. Say where, when, and where they can get Stay it. Stay tuned
4: Preet. with Preet wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right. Um, Come back uh, on Friday when I'll be joined by guest host Veritundi Thurston. A heads up, that Friday episode will go out a little later than usual. So if you don't see it in your morning commute, don't panic, but maybe listen instead to stay tuned with Preet while you wait. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit your question for the Pivot podcast for that episode and others. The link is also in our show notes. Today's show was produced by Lara Naaman and Evan Engel. Ernie Endrad engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or frankly, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back later this week for another breakdown of all things tech and business.